Welcome to the Intentional Growth Podcast, the show that teaches you how to grow the value of a company with an end in mind. Host Ryan Tansom interviews top business leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and other professionals who share their experience and expertise about buying, growing, and selling companies. Hey, everybody, and welcome back. This is episode 259 of the Intentional Growth Podcast, and I am Ryan Tansom, your host. Today, we're going to be talking to Brian Clayton, who sold his lawn care company and decided to create the Uber of lawn care. Brian Clayton was the founder of Peachtree, which was one of the largest landscaping companies in Tennessee, growing to over $10 million in annual revenue with hundreds of employees before selling it in 2013. And he's now the co-founder of GreenPal, which is the Uber for lawn care. What's amazing is that Brian has no background in coding or SaaS companies. And so after selling his lawn care company, he decided that he wanted to jump into a software business and he did it all without raising capital. And today, GreenPal is doing over $20 million in revenue. So he has literally figured it out. And one of the big themes that Brian's going to be talking about is how he views his business as a storyline of his life. He talks about Donald Miller and talking about the character, has a problem, meets a guide, and is trying to reach his fullest potential. Brian actually talks about how his business is that vehicle to help him reach his fullest potential. It's amazing. It could not be any more in line with what we talk about on this show and why business has this ability to help us change ourselves, create wealth, make an impact, and enjoy work. Brian has this view of looking at his business as a video game. It's amazing. He talks about how you can view your business like a video game where you're unlocking different levels of personal development as the business grows, but you're also unlocking different stages of the business and each stage comes with different things that you're gonna need to do. With each new level you beat, you get tons of rewards, curating a good culture, learning EOS and traction, developing smooth sales and distribution channels, understanding client acquisition costs, understanding why your customers are really purchasing your services, and by viewing the business objectively like a video game, Brian was able to explain to us why you can reduce your ego to objectively take feedback, how to use that customer feedback to enhance your business and continue to scale. I honestly think one of my favorite parts about this interview is that Brian is unbelievably objective about viewing himself, his business, his identity, how to grow the business without being too egotistical and having too many uh, opinions about the way he created it. His whole goal is to get better, and that goes back to the storyline. If you have a clear vision of what you ultimately want from your life and your business, you can objectively take feedback and continue to make progress towards those goals And it is unbelievably fun to hear him share how he's doing it because he's in the middle of the journey and you can tell Brian's never going to stop and we all have a lot to learn from him. Thanks so much for tuning in and I really hope you enjoy this interview with Brian. Sponsored by Arcona's Intentional Growth Digital Course. Ryan Tansom and Pat Hobby show you how to shift your mindset away from solving for annual income to focusing on strategies that create long-term value giving you the freedom and choices to take control of the future destiny of your business. Accelerate your knowledge with 36 videos and dozens of exercises that combine decades of experience buying, growing, and selling companies. Learn more by going to arcona.io or visiting the show notes. Good morning, Brian. How are you? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show, man. This is awesome. I love it. I, we were just talking about uh, my dead lawn because I'm sitting here in Minnesota. We have no water and I have been very, very uh, bad at uh, putting the attention. So I think I'm going to need some of uh, the Green Pal services. Here. <laughs> well, but, yeah, Ryan, it's, it's, it's good that you had me on. Uh, maybe we can help you out with that. <laughs> and I uh, I love it because my, you know, I, I honestly, Brian, I haven't, I don't have the actual facts, but I swear to God, it's got to be half the people that, that have been on this show that started their entrepreneurial career mowing lines. And I'm one of them. Yeah. It's, <laughs> so. it's, it's, it's funny. Something about the lawn mowing industry. Uh, that's how I got my start in entrepreneurship and, and, uh, the low barriers to entry or, or, or something about it. It's like where a lot of people cut their teeth on business ownership. <laughs> and a lot of the fundamentals in the lawn mowing business apply to all business, you know, things you learn like customer service, self-reliance, uh, all of these things you learn in the lawn mowing business apply to every business. So that's awesome. I'm glad that I'm glad you're one of those too. 
you definitely took it to a different level than my seven lawns when I was 14. So <laughs> once you, for the, for the listeners, let's do this. Let's give us a quick overview of kind of the background, your little bio, and then uh, we can pull the thread because you've gone through a transaction. You've got a, you've, you've shifted gears. You're still in the same industry, but in a different type of business. And I, I think there's a lot of a lot of ground that we can cover, but why don't you give everybody a little bit of a lay of the land? Yeah, so currently I'm CEO, co-founder of a company called GreenPal, and GreenPal is kind of like the Uber for lawn mowing. So if you're a homeowner and you need to get your lawn mowed, rather than calling around on Craigslist or Facebook, leaving voicemails, you can just download GreenPal and you'll get hooked up with a good lawn mowing service in less than a few minutes. You hire them, then they come out and mow the yard for you. You get a picture of the completed job and you pay them and you can set it up for the whole year right on the app. We're an eight-year overnight success. I've been at this business for almost a decade, and uh, now we have a few hundred thousand people using the app to get their lawn mowed, several thousand lawn mowing services operating their whole business on top of our technology, doing multiple eight figures in revenue every year. And, but the first few years of starting this company were really, really tough. Getting a marketplace going from scratch like, like this is, is, was really tough to figure out, but we've got some good moment, momentum going now. Before GreenPal, I actually had a landscaping business, a, a traditional lawn mowing company <clears throat> that I started in high school as a way to make extra cash. I was actually forced into the business by my father who got tired of watching me play Super Mario Kart. He said, get off your ass. <laughs> I lined up a job for you. You're going to go mow the neighbor's yard. And so I wasn't living in a democratic household, luckily. And uh, so it wasn't, it wasn't a request and, and uh, mow the, mowed my neighbor's yard and made 20 bucks. And I was hooked. I was hooked ever since then. And I uh, stuck with that little lawn mowing business um, all through high school, all through college and little by little grew it every year and, and uh, grew it at over a 15 year period of time to over 150 employees eventually getting it over $10 million a year in annual revenue. And then in 2013, was able to navigate the, the exit, the acquisition of that company to, to one of the largest landscaping companies in the United States. So going from zero, just, you know, me and a push mower to me and, you know, 80 or 90 trucks going out every day. I, I learned a lot about the, about the business world and how to scale a business of that sort. And then, uh, and then sold it, retired. I didn't have to work anymore, which was nice, but I was only 32. And I, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about, you know, what, how I'm wired and I was wired to love business. And there was this big thing missing in my life and, and I got bored. And so I decided, okay, well, that was really tough. And now I want to do something easy. I'm going to start a software business. And boy, I didn't know what I didn't know. Uh, the software business has been 10 times harder than that business ever was. And so, but luckily I did. And, and luckily I got started and never looked back. And my two co-founders and I have, have been grinding on, on this Green Pal app for, almost a decade. And, and now we've got a really good business going. So there's so many places to go with this. And I appreciate the the overview is um, I want to go in the transition period there, because I think that I want to go back and get some of the lessons that you learned in the, in the first business and then how you shifted potentially towards treating this business a little bit differently. What, what was the hardest part, Brian? Like when you were sitting there after you'd sold, like, like what was that self-reflection like and what what were some of the things that you were learning as you were reflecting yeah you know looking back it's always easier to make sense of this stuff because because you're able to like connect the dots looking backwards um and so looking back I'm, i'm able to kind of figure out that that my business is the thing that lends purpose to my life and it is the thing that causes my life to be interesting it is the thing that like causes my life to almost matter and I didn't really realize it at the time, but now looking back, that's, that's, that's the case. That's how I'm wired. And I think like I read a book by a guy named Donald Miller, who's also out of Nashville. Um, and it books, books called 10,000, a, mil, a, a thousand miles in a million years, a thousand miles in a million years. I don't know if I've heard that book about his, I mean, I, I get, I've read all of his other, you ones. know, usually he's a marketer. Uh, his, his, his book mm-hmm. is, you know, his main claim to fame is the story brand, but like this was mm-hmm. more of like a, uh, a novel that he wrote about his life. And one thing he talks about in this book, I just like his writing style. It's really easy to read. And he, he's very pragmatic and practical. And it's kind of, I kind of resonate with that. And so in the book, he talks about to live an interesting life, you have to live an interesting story. And so you have to do interesting things in your life. And he talks about 
like one time he was just like in the in like in the dumps and and he decided that he was just on a whim gonna go sponsor a church to be built in Mexico and it was gonna take 20 grand to build a church for a community in Mexico and him and his family were gonna go do that and like at the whole like and like this doing that caused their life to be so much better because it landed an interesting storyline to his life and and I'm reading this book and I'm like man that that makes a lot of sense like my business is the storyline to my life. And if you think about like, like yourself in, in a, in a, in a movie almost, and like, you're the main character, you're the hero, you're going through ups and downs and you're overcoming conflict and you're overcoming challenges to get to the goal. Like, wow, what a, like the business is the thing that can lend you all of that. And, and so like looking back 15 years, starting my first business, a decade in my second business, that's certainly been the case for me. It's like the business is the thing that lends an interesting storyline to my life, making it purposeful, making it interesting, making it challenging, making it rewarding. And I don't have to like ever be in like search for these elements. Like it's always there if you're running a company. And that's what I was missing when I sold the first business. Like there was a void and I didn't really understand it at the time. Uh, but looking back, that's, that's what it was. And so I tried to fill that void by like starting another business. Although I didn't really have the appetite to do it. I just needed to do it and re- recruited two co-founders and started working on, on the mobile app GreenPow. And didn't, luckily had a little bit of naivete. I didn't know how hard it was going to be. And that was good because I never would have done it. And And so we just got started working and never looked back and kind of had a burn the boats moment. And, and, and I think if you're doing business right every three to four or five years, you should completely evolve as a new person. And I'm, I'm like a, a completely new person than I was a decade ago when I started this business only because the business uh, required that of me, which is a cool thing about it. So that was a, a super good answer, man. I, I love it because I, I resonate with that a lot. I mean, the, the podcast actually used to be called Life After Business mm. for the first few years because it was like this whole void. And I, I don't know if you ever heard of Bo Burlingham's book, Finish Big. Yeah, I haven't read um, it, I re- but I, sh- I should. Yeah, it's what I read after the, the sale and I was like, holy crap, like that's the problem. And I think because I want to pull on the, the, the evolve every three to four years as it relates to your old business and the new one to pull this uh, a little bit is – how, I mean, the, the meaning that the business and all the things in your life that it satisfies, most people are not a self-aware of that until afterwards. And that's what I went through. And it sounds like you went through as well. So it's interesting that you actually like found it in the storyline. Cause yeah, it's, I mean, it's the whole character has a problem. Right. needs a guide and goes in it's self-realization, which is what human beings like need to be happy. And most people don't realize that the business fits that. One of the things that we teach Brian, is that if you can have that first that we call it the, your your personal drivers, you have that mindset, then you can actually build a valuable business that facilitates that so you can have that as long as you want with choices. That's kind of the whole philosophy that we adhere to. And it's nice if you can do that with that self-awareness right off the bat and not have to go. Through I don't it. know. I think <laughs> I think it's like everything in life. You have to go through it, you know, and it's like, you have to go through it. Like, 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 like everybody says money doesn't matter until you get, you know, and like, but they have money. And so, but they went through getting money. And so it's like, it's, right. it's just like that. And, and it's, it's not like, I don't want to like overemphasize like, Oh, I just love the first five years of starting a business and it's just <laughs> awesome. And I needed that. No, it sucks. Like starting a business from scratch is like Sean Parker says, start starting a startup is like chewing glass and eventually you love the taste of your own blood. I mean, it's really tough getting a business going. So it's not like you just, I just love every day of starting a business from scratch for the first four years. It was really, it really sucked to be honest, but it's kind of like one of my favorite quotes and I'm not like a super literary guy, but it's an Ernest Hemingway quote. And he said, I hate writing, but I love having written. And that mm-hmm. that's, that's how I look at business. Like a lot of it, I do hate, like a lot of the, the stuff like of starting a business from scratch really does suck. The slog is very real, but I do like love the, the final like product. I do love the progress. I do love the purpose. Mm-hmm. I do love winning and I do love creating opportunity for people in my team and my stakeholders to win. That's a lot of fun. So that's what I was missing. I love it. And, and it's very similar to working out, right? right. I mean, like you, Same like, thing. It's painful. But then the afterward, I actually had some guy last week. He's like, you're a, you're a runner, huh? I'm like, yeah, I like to lift and run. And he's like, I've never seen someone smiling while they run. I'm like, but I smile afterwards. <laughs> exactly. It's the same so, thing. It's almost like principles of the universe that can't be broken. It's, it's weird. <laughs> so how, with that, with that lens, 
How did that evolution happen in the first business? And how has that happened in the second business? I don't know, like whatever order you want, just because you mentioned the three to four years. And I don't know if there was mental evolution along with the operational evolution or like what, how, what pain that you can now look back at and say, oh, that's that was super important that I learned that. Yeah, you know, the business is going to cause you to level up in so many ways if you're going to make it. And so in the first business, you know, like I'm, I'm in my 20s and I'm 25 years old. And I got 50 employees. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm way out of my comfort zone. So I'm having to learn stuff like management and leadership and pick up books from John Maxwell and, and stuff like that and, and, and really try to level up to become a decent manager and decent leader. And so that was kind of like the, the learning and evolution of, of running the first company. And, and so yeah, I think to be good at business, you're going to be 80-20 good at a lot of different things. And so that's kind of like, I guess, my first act of, of my entrepreneurial journey was that, was just going from zero, they don't teach you this stuff, to, hey, now I'm, I'm no longer a horrible leader. I'm not the best, but I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good at management, pretty good at finance, pretty good at, 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 all, at operations, all this other stuff. Got all that done, sold that business, multi-million dollar transaction. And here I think oh, I know everything there is to know about business. And like, I'm some <laughs> rock star, I'm some badass. And, and uh, I'm just going to like build this app and it's just going to be, we're going to be off and going because this will be easier. And uh, that's one of the awesome like things about like trying to build a business. It's one of the most humbling things you can do with your life. You want a humility machine, go start a business because the marketplace is relentless with its feedback. The marketplace doesn't care who you are, like where you come from, what socioeconomic status you have. It like, it does not care. You start from scratch. You're only as good as your product and the marketplace is going to tell you where you suck. And, and so that's how like, the reality that I was confronted with starting the second company and so I, it was almost like unlocked a new level of the video game. It was almost like I had beaten Super Mario World and I had beaten Bowser <laughs> yeah. and then Super Mario World 2 came out and or three or four. And it's like, wow, it's like all these new challenges. And so the second company, one thing I didn't really understand was there's a big difference between running a traditional type of service-based company and like running it well and profitable and kicking your competition's butt. There's a big difference between that. That's really hard. But here's the next level, inventing a brand new product from scratch that does not yet exist in the world. Those are really two different things. And I think almost it might be the delineation between a business owner and an entrepreneur. So in my, you know, my first company, I thought, yeah, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I started this big landscaping company. It's like one of the biggest in Nashville, Tennessee. We're doing eight figures in revenue. Yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. And looking back, I really wasn't. I was more or less a business owner, maybe a founder. But I didn't truly understand what an entrepreneur was until I tried to start GreenPal, which did not exist. There was no roadmap. There was no like thing we could, we just had to figure it out as we went. And uh, that's a lot harder. That's an order of magnitude harder. And I think it's important for people to understand that, that, you know, like a lot, a lot of first time business owners want to just go start a new startup. And they haven't really cut their teeth on like the, the block and tackling of business ownership. And there's a, there's a big gap between those two. Interesting that you bring that up. Yeah. It's a, you know, cause like the, there's so much exposure to raise a bunch of money and then it's all about the seed round, the A round, the B round, the, the C and, and not like, how are you going to get a product pricing fit where people can monetize this, right? Like there's almost, the, almost like the economics of the business kind of just go out the window and it's about raising money and then spending it and trying to, you know, get growth as, as fast as you can. What it, was there anything like when you look back at the service business and the transaction where I, I, I've, I see so many times where people really understand value when that transaction's in front of them where before they were solving for annual income, the distributions and the perks. And then all of a sudden like, oh, this asset is here. When you, did you look at the new business and did there, what, what did you learn from that transaction that lended insight to say, Hey, I want to get into technology. I mean, I don't know if you were a coder before, but like, what did you take from that first transaction into the second one with the operational strategies? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of philosophies. I kind of have a blue collar background and, and, and to your question, like I, my co-founders and I taught ourselves how to write software when we started the second company, we had to, um, 
So I'm, I kind of have a little bit of a unique perspective. I can change the transmission and your Ford F-150 and, and I can also write the hell out of some front end code. So like, there's not a whole lot of people on the planet that can do those two things. Um, <laughs> and so I can like, like I had to like go evolve, like again, evolve and go through those two things. And so like in the first business, it was very much a pragmatic, um, sustainable, humble, approach to building that business one of the, like in the early days running that company it was it was like i was in it and on it for many many years so i was actually mowing yards and uh, i i had like up until like maybe my fifth or sixth employee i was still cutting grass so all day i have these headsets and i'm, I'm listening to like talk radio all day while mowing grass 13 hours a day and uh there was a there was a talk radio station that had like all the talk radio that I liked. And between two, two hosts, there was Dave Ramsey and I hated mm -hmm. Dave Ramsey. Like I thought he was annoying. Like he was just say the same thing over and over and over again. But like I was forced because back then there wasn't like podcasts. There wasn't like you, it was literally <laughs> terrestrial radio was your only like, like lifeline to any sort of information. Like you didn't, you couldn't just get on Spotify. Right. And so luckily for me, Dave Ramsey was sandwiched between two guys that I like. <laughs> you were forced, forced. Right? just like you were forced to force to mow the first, the first line. <laughs> yeah, I was forced to listen to Dave every day for like, I think it shows three hours and, uh, and for like five years straight. <laughs> so I can only imagine like, oh, yeah, 10 to one, I hate of every day, but it's going to be the most life-changing thing that I listen As time to. went on, it was like, I was in, I was like, uh, hypnotized by this guy. And if for anybody who's listening, doesn't know who Dave Ramsey is like in a nutshell, he's a, he's a personal finance guy. And his big thing is debt-free, debt-free, debt-free. And he's a little extreme, but a lot of his philosophies like were baked into my head. So I'm building this company debt-free. Like every single truck that I'm buying, I'm like saving up the cash for and going and buying it. Oh, wow. Every lawnmower, like I'm saving up the money and going buying the money for the lawnmower. Every single, like everything that, that like it's a very asset heavy business. Like at the end, there was right. 90 trucks going out every day, you know, 200 lawnmowers that were, you know, 10 grand, 12 grand each, you know, and, and, uh, so now X Mark and John Deere will give you 0% financing, no payments for two years. And like, you, you could go start a whole mowing business and not pay a dollar. All this thing, yeah. Like, like, like having to say no to all that and, and, and just like paying cash for all of it was really hard. And so all like long winded thing to say is like, when I, when it came time to sell that business, all of my competitors, had dreams of selling their landscaping business. They want to sell their landscaping business for $5 million. But guess what? They also had like four and a half million dollars of debt. Whereas when it came time for me to sell the business, you know, for whatever I was able to sell it for, it was like a very clean transaction. Didn't owe anybody anything. And so therefore I had a viable business to sell. And, and to, to date, it's the largest transaction in our industry in, in the state of Tennessee that's ever occurred. And, and because this doesn't happen very often. And I think it was because I took the hard approach of building it debt-free because I had like Dave Ramsey in my head, like for four hours a day for five years. So like, <laughs> like that's not like, like I have the scars that's like baked into the DNA of, of how I approach business building. And so then I take that like DNA, that philosophy and apply it to tech startup land. And, and quickly I'm confronted with like, wow, this may, there may be a mismatch here, but but I just cannot see going out and raising, you know, three million or four million or five million dollars and burning it all in eighteen months. I just can't see that. Like in my in my ethos is just like my approach is just not congruent with that. And so we didn't do that. And so every other startup that tries to do something similar to what we're doing, that's the first thing you do. You go out, you raise a half million or a million dollars in angel funding, and then you raise three or four or five million in Series A, and then a twenty million dollar Series B, and so on. And when you do that, it sets off a chain reaction of events where it's kind of like like one of my favorite rap albums is 50 Cent, Get Rich or Die Trying. It's it's literally that. Like it's it's like get rich or die trying. Like like you either it's gonna be one or the other. You're either gonna you're either gonna there's no there's no, there's no, no one only worth five million bucks. Yeah. So like it's either a billion or right, it's either a billion or zero, and you've you've wasted a decade of your life. And I, I just thought that was a bad bet. I didn't want to do that. And uh Luckily, I was already kind of like financially independent. So I kind of was able to do it on my own terms. It's not that like I plowed a bunch of money into GreenPow. I didn't. It had to very much sing for its supper. But I took the approach that I had 15 years and applied it to GreenPow, which is we're going to grow this thing on its own revenues. We're going to grow it debt-free. We're not going to take outside capital. And again, here I am eight years later. That's the only thing that's gotten us to where we are because there's a graveyard 
of other startups that were Uber for home cleaning, Uber for laundry service, Uber for valet parking. There's like 10 other Uber for lawn care startups, like a billion, billion of dollars of venture capital crashed into the ground trying to bring these ideas to life. And they just weren't ready for the rocket fuel that is what venture capital is. You know, you take venture capital's rocket fuel. You better like you you you, you if, if you want to like be driving your Toyota Camry, you know, 60 miles an hour on the freeway and build a real business over a decade, don't put rocket fuel in it. And that's <laughs> yeah. that's what happens most of the time. It's like they put rocket fuel oh, dude, in their I, Toyota Camry Brian, I had a, and the motor I had a, blows I had, up. I had a friend I have a friend that he uh, he raised $24 million for his business. And I remember sitting at one of our CEO retreats and the fear, the fear in his eyes was pretty real, man. He's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, even though he had all that money, he's like, it's just so interesting. And, and yeah. Like what, yeah, I, yeah. what I find, uh, what I'm curious about, like when you talk about those first five years and that eating glass and liking your own blood, the taste of your own blood, I think, there's something that happens in that when you're starting a business that it's the pro it's the notorious product pricing fit. And like what I've observed, Brian, is that when you have that much money, you don't have to do that. And so that pain, you're not getting that feedback because you you can ignore the feedback. Yep. And so I'm curious about like how that how that translated for you, because I think that's crucial to being being able to make money. One one last comment is. I read this article and I'll have to see if I can find it and send it to you. It was about how the Uber Eats and like all the the eating delivery services have completely destroyed the supply chain of, of money in the restaurant industry. No one can make any money because all of a sudden you have one part of the supply chain that just ignores the fact that they need to make cash. Right. And it's super interesting. So what are the five years? How did you figure out that product pricing fit and how did that feedback work for you guys? Yeah, a couple of things. So. I'm not saying venture capital is bad and nobody should go raise right. it. All I'm saying is for most entrepreneurs, it's a bad bet. And like, we're always looking at the five or 10 or 20 or 50 examples that are grand slams. And we don't look at the 10,000 people outside of the stadium that never even got into the, you know, never even was able to get up to the plate. And so like my, my point is, is that, Think about like if you want to take rocket fuel and just swing for the fences and get rich or die trying, then by all means do it. But know that that's the bet you're you're taking. And and so like like how do you how do you make sense of this? How do you know? Well, should I raise capital or should I not? And a lot of times you look at you look at an Uber and you you look at an Uber and you like you look at what they did in five years, and it seemingly looks like a five year overnight success. But what you don't understand is like Travis Kalanick had. 10 or 15 years of entrepreneurship under his belt already two exits under his belt already. And then he, you know, he, he, he recruits Garrett camp who, who had a $50 million exit under his belt already. Like these guys are starting at the starting line with already 10 or 15 years of experience. Whereas most of us, myself included are starting our first tech startup. And it's the first one we've ever done. And it's, it's just like, you can't, you, you, you can't shortcut that that time that it takes to learn what the hell it is you're doing. And a lot of times it's it, principles of the universe. Like that's you right. You can't. It ends in failure most of the time. And so I didn't want to take that bad bet. But if you but on the other hand, you look on your phone, like on the home screen, pretty much every app on that home screen was venture backed. Um, does that mean that you're going to go start uh, the next venture back startup? Maybe, but it, you know, it might be a one in a thousand shot. You know, you look at Y Combinator, the, 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 the accelerator behind all kinds of names, Instacart, DoorDash, Stripe, Airbnb, Reddit, like, and then there's probably 50 more names. There's probably 50 of those names that are household names. And like, you're like, wow, I want to do that. But what you don't understand is like over the last 15 years, Y Combinator has, has, incubated over 4,000 companies. And so it's like, it's, it's, so, yeah. it's like, it's like, what are the, what are the odds? You know, it's like, there's, 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 there's thousands that have gone to zero and it's, it's almost like I, I liken it to maybe going out to LA and trying to become an actor or, or the next, you know, pop sensation, the, the, the odds. Or being in the NFL or NBA or what you name it. And it's like, you know, or even like what my dad's notorious uh, comment is like, you don't hear anybody talking about all the times they lose at the casino. Right. Exactly. So my point is, is, 
like 15 years of building a business very pragmatically. I took that philosophy to the second company. And that's the only reason why we're here today. You know, we're doing multiple eight figures, profitable, um, in charge of our own destiny. It's been really hard, but it was the, it was the right way to do it looking back. And, uh, that's my advice from my perspective, but I don't, so but how did you, I'm also the, not going to say don't go raise capital. Fin- yeah, and so like the and I think the, the the important part about that is like because you you bootstrapped it, you have to figure out the product pricing fit to maintain your cash flow runway. Right. You're constantly looking at your runway while also looking at the viable part of the business. So explain the the platform. I can't even imagine Brian starting a platform where you have to get two sides at the same yeah. time to have a viable business. So it kind of just walk us, I'm, I'm super curious on how that first few years looked like from like operationally, how you got it off the ground and found that uh, found that fit. Yeah, the, the, the simple, I guess the same necessity is the mother of invention. That's like a simple thing that, that gets thrown out a lot, but man, it's so true when it comes to building a business. Like it's, it's so true. Like if you raise a bunch of money, it really does paper over a lot of problems. And, and it really does hide the fact that you don't have product market fit. It really does hide the fact that you're not delivering enough value for the people using the app and, and, and it can kind of kick the bucket down the road on some of the hard problems you got to solve. So for us, because we were self-funded and we had to like fund the business off of its own revenue, we were always like very crystal in our thinking and what we were working on because we had to. Like we had to make 10 grand next month to keep the lights on. And like it's just all there was to it. And if we couldn't make 10 grand unless we were delighting users of the app and on both sides of the transaction. So, you know, in the early days, you kind of look at it again, almost like a video game, Super Mario World. I just got to get through level one. Like I just got to get through level one and level one might be a, a really terrible product that I can get a hundred people to use. That's it. Don't need anything else. I don't need to think about about thousands of users. I don't need to think about scale. And so for us, that's the way we looked at it. We thought, okay, if we can get a hundred people and 10 lawn care services to use this thing on a weekly basis in Nashville, Tennessee, then we believe we can get it to a thousand consumers and a, and a hundred lawn care services. But let's not even worry about that till we can get to a hundred. And so it took us a year, a solid year to get our first hundred homeowners. And we just kind of like did everything we thought we could do. You know, you, you have a little small circle of influence and in those, in that circle is what you can act in. And, and we did that. And we, the first thing we did is we passed out door hangers all over Nashville, Tennessee, like 200,000 of these things uh, to try to like get the word out about this terrible app that we had. I love it. And I got, I got bit by a dog like two times and <laughs> we literally, so here I am, yeah, I think. I just sold this multi-million dollar business. I and then and then like I retired and I'm like ah this sucks. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back in the in the game. I recruited two co-founders, and I thought, well you know I can't like I'm not better than this. I gotta do it. And uh, and so we did, and we spent like three months passing out door hangers all over Nashville because we didn't know we didn't have a user acquisition strategy. We didn't have an SEO strategy. We didn't know what paid marketing looked like. But it did. None of that stuff mattered. All we needed was a hundred people to use it. And so we did that. And with the flyers, we were able to get a hundred people to use it. And then we met and talked with as many of them that would meet with us. And then we let that feedback guide how we would get to a thousand. And as simple and, and like easy to understand as that process is, that's really all we've done for eight years. It's just like go through one level at a time, get feedback from people, learn from it, apply it, get it to the next level, go from 100, get to 1,000, get 1,000 to 10,000, get that 10,000 to 100,000. And now we're multiple, you know, several hundred thousand people using it. And we, we want to be several several million. And so now like the next set of challenges is how do we get to several million? And, and so it's like a video game. Every level has a new boss, a new set of challenges. And that's that's really a fun thing about it. How do you uh, how do you discern the differences of the different kind of levels? So like, are there different operational challenges, or is it revenue based? Like, or what what are the some of the things as you look back right now that were major milestones that you've conquered uh, the boss in Super Mario? <laughs> yeah, you know, a lot of it is marked to revenue. Um, a lot of it will be marked to team. Uh, you know, in the early days, it was just me and two two dudes I founded the business with, and and then and then you know, level two or three might be it's it's ten people. And then, and now we're, we're almost 30 people. And I kind of like this size, to be honest, I want to stay as close to this as I can. And so a lot of it is marked to, to like, what does the team look like? And, and, and also like, 
are you hiring people that are hiring people? That might be a level seven or eight thing. You know, I, I really don't want to get to that point. Uh, I'd like to build this thing as big as I can with a small team. So a lot of the challenges as, as every level progresses are related to delegation, related to systems, related to processes, related to, to letting like the data speak. And like, like the, the term let the data speak almost doesn't matter in level one. Like you, you should like know what the data is because there's so little of it. You should be talking to people, but in level six, seven or eight, you should like be like data informed and you should know, like there, there should be no like guesses. Like you should be making decisions rooted in what the data is telling you. And that's a level five, six or seven thing. And so a lot of it is just like a, like a higher level of thinking, a higher, more like high leverage uh, level of thinking. You're thinking more strategically. Uh, you're worried about things like culture, um, as you get uh, further down the, the down the path, like culture doesn't matter in level one or two. That might be like a, and brand doesn't matter in level one or two. These might be controversial opinions, but from my 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 opinion, twenty years of building business, like level one and two, don't worry about culture and brand. You need you need a hundred people to use the product. You can't do that. Nothing else matters. Super interesting, it, it, and I, I like I love frameworks and how to think about things. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's how it makes sense of the world, you know. Just like uh, yeah, right? metaphors, like, <laughs> analogies, you know. I'm a simple yeah, man, yeah, you right. know. Like I'm just trying to like make sense <laughs> of this stuff. No, I, I love it, and, and we're along. So you mentioned twice while oh, you're talking about those levels that you like this stage, and what's really interesting when I when I think about the word intentional and like, like designing the business and the life that you want to accomplish the things that are important to you. Like when you think about like, okay, you want to stay at this level, what is it that you enjoy about it? And how are you going to continue that enjoyment as you move and progress through the levels to get more users? Yeah. Yeah. I, I listened to a podcast the other day with the dude who runs a company called AppSumo. Noah Kagan was the founder of AppSumo. Great guy. Mm-hmm. Got a great YouTube channel. You should go check it out. And and it was him and a CEO. Can't remember the CEO's name, but a CEO made a good point. He said, like, there's three phases to every company. There's the startup, the grow up, and then the scale up. And so the startup is like, you know, very much my two co-founders and I passing out door hangers, trying to get a hundred people and, and then getting that to a thousand, that might be startup land. And then the, the, the grow up is like, okay, now we're in every major city in the United States and, and, and we're doing multi eight figures in revenue and, and we're growing up. We got a 30 man team, 30, you know, 30 person team. The next set of challenges is the scale up. You're, you're worried about, okay, what is, what is like, what is going public look like? What is the, what are the regulatory compliances looking like? I got to build out this team of like, like lieutenants um, that, you know, I got to like increase headcount. Like I really don't have any interest in that personally. I don't have, like, I, I never, I, I ran a business with 150 people and, and it got to be excruciating there towards the end. I, like I don't have any desire to do that. So for us, like I'm going to take this thing as far as I can until it's no longer fun. And then I'll probably sell the company, but I'm still having fun. And, and who knows, maybe as, as, as we get to hundred million in revenue, I may enjoy that. And I may, it may unlock a new set of challenges for me that I enjoy. Maybe not, but I'm not going to do it anymore until it's not fun. And I guess I'm kind of in like a little bit of a privileged uh, position to be able to do that. Cause I already have an exit under my belt. And that's one thing I always try to coach entrepreneurs on and startup uh, founders on. It's like, it's like get a single or a double under your belt, then go for the big thing. You know, a lot of times, you know, a lot, a lot of times founders will come to me and say, Oh, I want to start this thing, but I don't have any access to capital. I need $10 million to do it. And I'm like, bro, you, you, you uh, no offense, but you work in a cubicle at Dell. Like, like, let's go start. Like, you're not going to go, go start cutting grasses, man. You're not going to go from the cubicle at Dell to like somebody giving you $10 million. Like, like you need, like, there's something between that. And like, go start a traditional business, go start a business. You can start, cut your teeth on that for three or four years, put a half million dollars in the, in the bank. Then you can go start the $10 million thing. And that's like, that's what's worked for me. And that's, that's what I try to coach people on is like, cut your teeth on some kind of business, learn the ropes and then go do the big thing. And so now here I am, you know, I'm running this, this, this company and, and, uh, and I can do it until it's no longer fun because I have that one win under my belt already. When you think about what you want with the business long term, I don't know how much thought you've given to that. Like, do you have like a certain impact that you want to make, or is there a certain thing where you can go, "That's I did it." Like, because I mean, if the money, I don't know if the money's driving. I'm just kind of curious. Like, what what's the internal passion? Is it the struggle? What 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 is? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's like a lot of times in business and in life, we we have to say it's like this or that, and so it's like oh, either you're 
passionate and you're doing it for some sort of altruistic reason and you don't care about money or it's like all you give a crap about is the money. And it's like this or that. And I like I always have to remind myself, remove or and put and. And and so I think it's both. I think I think if mm-hmm. we're all honest uh, and being transparent, we are all driven by money. I mean, everybody in Silicon Valley that is taking on venture capital and, and swinging for the fences, they can tell you that they're like altruistically passionate about some kind of thing. And like, yeah, Elon Musk wants to die on Mars and whatever. And but really, it is about the money. 99.9% of all entrepreneurs. So let's let, just get that out of the way and let's quit let's quit bullshitting our everybody. The other thing is, is like it's not or it's and and you have to have some kind of purpose as to why you're doing it and why it matters. Because like if it's just about the money, then then just go sit at your computer and, and trade crypto all day. Like just look at those like graphs and like just stare at them all day. <laughs> I can make yeah. a lot more money doing that than than selling lawn mowing services. But that's not fun to me. I don't want to do that. Like, there's no purpose there. There's no impact there. And so it's it's both. And and for me, like the purpose of of Green Pal is is like I'm helping the guy or gal that was me in 1998 trying to get started. We are the that's really why we do what we do. We take that that small solo mm-hmm. business owner that's doing five yards a week, or like you said, six or seven yards a week, and to to, to 100 or 200 clients and get them from 5k a year in revenue to 250k a year in revenue and that is a lot of fun it's a lot of fun because we kind of help these folks get indoctrinated into owning their own business and kind of like walk them through every step of building a successful lawn care business and we have a facebook group where we have thousands of of these folks uh in the group and we're always sharing stories and like you'll you'll see hey thank you green pal it's my first year of business i i was able to buy a new truck and i, I only had a push mower that's but so now cool. i can ride like i got a riding mower and like that's a lot of fun that's the purpose like that's why i get out of bed in the morning that's why all of this matters but if we can't make any money doing it then there's no point either so it's it's like it's and it's not or and let's mm-hmm. let's all get rid of conscious capitalism. Yeah, yeah. Let's all get real. Like let's be honest about this stuff. The uh, what are some of the biggest operational challenges that you've had growing the business? Yeah. So in the first company, it was very much like unit economics driven. Like like how do I keep labor costs down? How do I how do I drive efficiencies? How do I how do I find the the, the sloppiness in the in in the operations because it's so hyper competitive. The second business is different because it's 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 still like in this what they call customer discovery phase of of inventing the product and looking for ways to add more value through innovations in the product. And so it's it's very much like the first was a known business model and you just try to do it better and better and better. The second is okay, well what is the what is the product innovation that I can add to the marketplace that adds value to both sides of the transaction. So something that, and, it is, and so it's like, this, this, it's unlimited set of options and you just have to like iterate your way through to figure out what works. Something that we're just now in year eight discovering or not discovering, but like executing on is a, is a land and expand strategy. So it's like, you know, when you're on DoorDash and, and you're like, you know, you're ordering your Thai food and you're ready to check out and it's, and, and you, you, it's $34. And like right there at the end, they're like, do you want to add on some spring rolls and maybe uh, <laughs> some like pad thai or whatever. And the next thing you know, you're spending $58. And you're not really that pissed off about it because you really did want the spring rolls. At least that's me. And and so, <laughs> yeah. and so it's like you're not really upset. It's like it was just so well crafted that like yeah. you spent more money and you weren't mad about it. Ooh, yeah, I like that. You spent more money and you weren't mad about it. And the restaurant's happy. DoorDash is happy and you're happier. Like that's a land and expand strategy that that they've that they've figured out to to increase the order size, increase the basket size without being intrusive, without without being uh, shady about it, and and everybody's happy. It's a win win win. That is like what we're trying. That's what we're executing on now. Is like how do we a homeowner hires a lawn mowing service? They're hooked up with a great lawn mowing service for the whole year, and now how do we add on the spring rolls? And the spring rolls for us is is like shrub pruning, mulch, seed, fertilizing, gutter cleaning, snow removal, all these other things that are kind of adjacent and around the mm-hmm. same kind of like uh, environment as, as lawn care. And, and executing on that is kind of the next frontier for us. And so 
it's always day one. Like Jeff Bezos says, it's always day one. There's always a new set of challenges. Another Jeff Bezos quote that I like is like, he says the customer is always like relentlessly discontent. Mm-hmm. And so that for us is, is something that constantly keeps us on our toes. So and I want to, I want to pull that thread for a second, because I think there's a lot um, of uniqueness about platforms that any business can put into practice because of the feedback that you guys need to, to incorporate, to make both sides of the transactions so the homeowners and the service providers, you're, they're both your customers and their perfect interaction is your success. Right. So I'm curious, like, what is your process to incorporate feedback? And then, and then how do you see that applicable to any business, regardless if they're a platform? Yeah. So we're always like ping ponging between solving the needs and optimizing on one side of the transaction or the other. And sometimes we overcorrect on one side at the expense of the other. And so you, you've seen other platforms like deal with this, like Uber with surge pricing, like surge pricing at its face is a very reasonable thing. It's like on a Saturday night, nobody wants to drive. So you're going to have to pay a little more people. And like drivers, like, I don't want to drive on Saturday night, but hey, maybe if you pay me a little more, I'll come pick you up. And it's like, it's just a, it's just a, the best way to solve it. But like, they got barbecued for, for surge pricing. And so it's like trying to, to orchestrate that delicate balance between the wants and needs of, of buyers and sellers is, is the challenge of every marketplace. And, and certainly has been a challenge for us. And the way we, we constantly try to get it right is we make it frictionless for any user of our product to talk to us, removing mm-hmm all of the barriers that exist between you and your customer, you and your user, removing all of the friction. I think this is especially important in the early days when you're in, when you're in kind of like, you know, we talked about the startup grow up and scale up when you're in that startup Mm -hmm. kind of segment, you got to really just rely on, on the feedback from people using your product, your service or patronizing your business. And, and I I know that sounds like obvious, but the reality is is 90% of business owners, entrepreneurs don't do it. Mm -hmm. They, they make Mm -hmm. it hard for the person to talk to them. They, they, they might send them to a 1-800 number or the email address is like no reply at whatever. And the live <laughs> chat is like not manned by anybody. And so so from day one and until even today, eight years in, you know, I've got Intercom on my phone and I do, you know, Intercom is is, is, a, is a live chat mm-hmm. software that, that we've used since day one. And it's in every interface that that uh, a user can interact with us and it it hits me up and i do at least an hour a day of of customer support still to this day you know and it, and i, cool, I do that because i don't like there's a gap that develops between like customer logic and company logic there's always this gap and if you are always talking to customers even just an hour a day it closes that gap and you're never at a loss for okay what should we f- be focusing the team on what are the three things that really matter this month for us to fix and make better about our business you're never at a loss for that if you're always talking to customers and so that's 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 what works for me it's a simple thing uh just doing an hour a day of of customer service always keeps me in check what are some are there some interesting things that you've learned from your customers that you've incorporated into your business you know i thought when when we started this thing you know i'm coming to it with 15 years of of lawn mowing industry experience. And I thought that I knew everything there was to know about the industry, but I really didn't. And so in the early days, we thought that we were delivering like the cheapest solution to lawn mowing. We thought, okay, it's going to be a competitive bid environment. You're going to get five quotes. You're going to be able to hire the cheapest person to come cut your grass. That was the value proposition. And after we started talking to users and customers, we, we came to realize that we're not actually we're not actually delivering the cheapest solution. We're delivering speed and reliability. All they care about is, can mm. I get somebody today or tomorrow and will they actually show up? And that piece of it, yeah, right? right? And, and that was that was a piece of it that I under-indexed on. I didn't really understand that that was the problem we were solving in the early days. And this is why it's important to talk to your customers because I didn't know that. I thought, I thought we were delivering the cheapest solution. No, actually, no, it's, it's will they show up? I thought, well, why wouldn't they show up? They'll just make some money. Well, as it turns out, most of the time they don't show up. <laughs> like they just don't show up for whatever <laughs> reason. Like the case of the disappearing lawn guy uh, is real. And so in the early days, even to this day, that is the problem we solve is a little accountability layer between the homeowner, the consumer, and the wild west of, of lawn care service providers that, that are flaky. 
And like, you don't know mm-hmm. if they're going to even like reliable ones for whatever reason, uh, back hurt, broke a belt belt. Like is a, is a, yeah. a lot more, not, not your belt around <laughs> like your waist. A, like the thing that actually turns the blades. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> belt broke, uh, looked like it was going to rain. Didn't rain, but I didn't mow that day. Uh, just didn't feel like cutting grass that day. Doggone it. Like all of these reasons are the reason why the guy doesn't show up. We solved that problem, and that was a key insight like that we learned about in the early days. And here we are eight years later, you know, some like 93% of the time, the guy or the gal shows up on time to mow the yard. We got to get that to 99%. How do we do that? And that's the problem we're solving. What impact does being humble have to do with listening to customers and incorporating things like that? Yeah, you know, it's it's – the, uh, like I said earlier, it's like running a business is the most humbling thing you'll do with your life. It's like, it's relentless. The feedback is relentless and nobody cares who you are. Nobody cares about your problems. Like the customer is insatiable. They are uh, egotistical. They are always like Jeff Bezos says, relentlessly discontent. And like, like the, like the, 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 cult of person like the, the Karens are are real and and so it's like <laughs> so it's like it's like but that's not happening to you it's happening for you like as the business owner like that feedback is happening for you and like yeah it sucks it's like oh, well, golly I'm just I'm I'm, I'm, writing, I'm trying my best I'm writing code seven days a week here people like I'm literally <laughs> I'm literally like the first five years of, of, of running this company my my two co-founders and I work seven days a week and it's like, I'm doing the best I can. I don't know why the guy didn't show up to mow your yard. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know? but, 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 but what that does is it forces an exercise of, of, uh, of what I learned to solve these problems was like the Toyota methodology of asking why five times. Like, okay, let's get to the root cause as to why this person's pissed off. And we've seen this 20 times this week. Let's get to the root cause of why they're pissed off. Why are they pissed off? Well, the long guy didn't show up. Well, why didn't he show up? Well, because he didn't know he had to mow it that day. Well, why didn't he know he had to mow it that day? Well, because he didn't check his email. Why didn't he check his email? Well, because he's not really uh, he's not really sophisticated in business, and actually, he never checks his email. Okay, well, we need to actually text this guy and get him to respond one or two that he's going to be there. Like, so that's. That is one solution to the thousand things that can go wrong between hiring a lawn care service and in the real world, getting them to come out and mow it, that you just go through that over and over again, thousands of times over a decade, you can then build something that's reliable. And you wouldn't, wouldn't know to do any of that unless, unless you listen to your customers and you ask why five times on, on whatever it is you're trying to solve. I love it, Brian, because there, there's so much gold in what you said and so much gold to be mined in people's current customers. Like, like you said, there's so many people that like to live in the ivory tower and think that it's clipping coupons or that's where they, that's where they yearn to get. But it's like, you're constantly trying to figure out how to evolve your business. Right. And like your customers are willingly telling you All the time. how and what they would buy more from you and how and why they could have a, a higher net promoter score or whatever. But you have to be okay that like what they're saying is that they don't like your baby. Yeah. And that's, that's <laughs> real. It's okay. But it's free R and D. And yeah, there, there's probably, I don't know what the percent is, but there's probably 2% of people that are just bad actors and you can't listen to that feedback, but the stuff that you're seeing, like you're seeing routines around, it's like, I remember in the early days of doing, we did a bunch of usability tests. We would just sit down with hundreds of people and just watch them use the product. And a mentor of mine in, in product design said, look, if, if five people come to the front door and they trip over that piece of carpet, I don't need 99 more people to trip over that piece of carpet for me to know we got to <laughs> fix the carpet. And so like a lot of that comes to, down to product design and what you're doing in your business. If five people this week told you this one thing sucked, you got to fix that thing. And you just do that over and over again. And it's not that hard. You just got to like make it really frictionless and accessible for them to reach you as the founder and you as in your people on your team that are, that matter and not just send them off to some, you know, customer support agent that doesn't probably care as much as you do. And, and that feedback's not going to get to you. Uh, that's just awesome, man. I, there's so many, uh, I just, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I just, I love, like you just speak in metaphors and you're just, you're totally my style. I love it. The, what, when, what is the biggest, what allowed you, Brian, to be able to enjoy the struggles and the learning experience of being an owner and entrepreneur? 
yeah it's it, like i don't want to sit here and say oh yeah everything about like starting a new business is just awesome it's just not man like in the early days like it was it was me and my co-founders writing the code writing the blog post doing the outreach to journalists doing the customer support like all that stuff and you got to do all that stuff yourself and so and so it's like that stuff sucks uh, but you got to do it if you want to if you want to get to the good part which is the good part. It's like little moments, you know, there's one moment in like year two where it was us uh, working on a Saturday and something like, I want to say like, like 25 or 30 people signed up for the product that day. And I didn't know who any of them were. That's awesome. And it was in that moment that I realized this is going to work because, because here, if I can get 25 people on a Saturday to sign up through all this other stuff that I've done, I know I can get 2,500. If I get 2,500, I can get 25,000. And, uh, and so there's little moments that make it all worth it. And so just, you know, you just keep moving. You keep moving forward. Like you burn the boats. You keep driving forward. You don't waste a decade on something that's not working. Like you make little goals and knock them down. But it's, it's in those moments that make it all worth it. And that's, what, that's what's driven me through a lot of the hard parts. And then also like dialing in on that purpose you know for me like i mentioned you know really helping small business owners grow their business and seeing their lives like seeing them be able to make material income off of some technology that i had a hand in building is a lot of fun and and that's what's kept me going for almost a decade in this business so when you look at this business and and knowing that there's most likely a transaction somewhere down the road and it's i think that's a lot uh it's a lot more baked into the software industry than it is lawn care, HVAC, you know, manufacturing job shop. How do you hold the concept of, Hey, this is a financial asset. And at some point, no matter like whether I die or whatever the hell it is, like some point, this asset will transition out of my hands. How do you hold that, that, that loose timeline of that situation with the purpose and having fun and not getting your identity so tied into this? And I don't know if you're looking at that relationship different now with GreenPal versus the previous business. Yeah, having done it once before and and going through that melancholy phase prepares you for the second time. So you really don't, if you're doing business right, it should be like you and scaffolding around you and you are your business. In fact, if you walk into your your office one day and you're like, you have that, I, I, I felt this, you have a, a stomach ache because you don't want to be there. And it's like you, the people that work there, you really don't like, and the culture sucks. Like I've, I've, I've been here, I've built, uh, not, not today, yeah. but I, Touché, my friend. I'm 20 years, 22 <laughs> years of business, I have felt this. And, and it's like, guess what? You get exactly the culture you deserve. You get exactly the vibe you deserve because the business is a reflection of you as the founder. And so it's hard, like, you know, it, you're, a lot of your personal identity is wrapped up in the business, but that's okay. It's like such a full contact sport. It requires that to get anything going. So like going through that melancholy f- feeling of like selling the first business and losing a piece of your identity, you know, that, which I filled with starting the second one now, you know, at, at a certain point, yeah, our company w- will probably go public or be acquired. And like, then it's no longer mine, but I think I'm better suited for it psychologically this time around. And I think I'm going to look at it like to this day, I, I still live in Nashville. And, and to this day, you know, the company that bought my business still operated the same brand, luckily. And I still see much, still see, I call them my trucks, you know, in town. <laughs> yeah. right. And my mom says, I saw one of your trucks the other day. Like, mom, it's not my, it's not one of my trucks. It's been almost 10 yeah. years. Mom, but thank you. <laughs> and she said that, like, and I think there's like, there's like the more your parents don't understand whatever it is you're working on, the better your ch- chances of success. Like, like my mom still doesn't understand. <laughs> still doesn't understand what we're doing, but that's okay. Right. I thought you were fixing trucks. No, no, no. I'm Cody. No, I'm Cody. What is that? <laughs> like who, what is it? <laughs> you know? So I was like, oh, that's okay. It. But so that said, like, I look at those trucks and I'm like, it's still kind of like a little bit of my legacy. So that's kind of the way I look at Green Pal. It's like, if I can get this business to a hundred million and then at some point, some, some big company brings it into their envelope and gets it to a billion. To me, that would be cool. And I would be cool with that. How would you, let me, let me ask you a a clarifying question on that. How would you feel if someone came with that big B right now and said, they had different modes of operating. Like, so you, you've mentioned the customers so many times and I can tell just who you are, that it's a transla- it translates into how you run the company. 
how do you align your values with when and how that buyer could come in? And let's say they said, we're going to relogo it. And here's, here's how we're going to do this differently, but we're going to give you a billion dollars. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's one of those things where if I knew that I could join a bigger, bigger company and run it the way I wanted to run it, I would definitely do that. One of my mentors is a guy that started a company, started Home Advisor, which is, which is a big, big uh, mm-hmm. platform for this kind of stuff. Started in the 90s and it was acquired by a company called IAC. And then he worked for them for like eight years. And he talked, he, he, he talks to me about that. He's like, you know, I was able to build it and do it like I wanted to. And, and, you know, we took it from, from a $300 million thing to an $8 billion thing. If I could do that, totally would. If some private equity firm came around and said, you know, we'll give you a hundred million dollars or whatever. And, and we want to, we see that we can like arbitrage this and basically in five years, destroy it. I wouldn't do that deal like that, that, that wouldn't, that would feel like crap. I'll just go trade Dogecoin if I'm just going to do that. You know, like, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like I can go, there's easier ways ways to make money and and not have purpose. So that's the way I look at it. Uh, Well, and and it's so insightful, hopefully for the listeners, because that your clarity and purpose and money and to be able to like hold that together is what I want for everybody. Like, because you want, I mean, I, I'm assuming you have a good experience of or good knowledge base on private equity and how that could be different from this. So you have the ability to weigh the choices where most people, they see the dollar amount and they don't know what multiple arbitrage is and how that financial buyers and how they're going to treat it. And so it's like all of this stuff happens after the fact. And then it's like, crap, Yeah, I wish I would have. And it's like, I just want everybody to like avoid those unforeseen ramifications. That's just like the like you said, just your ability to say no to $100 million for these reasons, you have to be super clear in those reasons right. in order to say no. Yeah. And it's like, I wasn't born knowing this stuff. And like, here I am, maybe, I don't know, level six of the video game. I'm having to learn this stuff. And I think, I think if you're like, you're doing business right, your, your, your living room needs to be a classroom. Your car, truck, vehicle needs to be a mobile classroom. And what I mean by that is you get home at night. If you want to level up in business, you got to turn off Netflix. You got to turn off Amazon prime and you got to turn on YouTube and you have to seek out the people talking about whatever it is at the stage of the game you're at and learn from them. Like, and that's the great thing about podcasts like this. Like, like if you want to learn how to get from 10 to hundred million, I might be a guy that, that you, you should listen to. I listened to a podcast uh, the other day with Brian Chesky, the, the founder of, uh, of Airbnb on Reed Hoffman's podcast. Brian Chesky and what he's doing with Airbnb might as well be on Pluto <laughs> as it relates to what I'm doing with Green Pal. So, yeah, it's entertainment it's, it, and it's cool. It's inspiring. But practically, what Brian Chesky is doing today, like I need to be listening to interviews that Brian Chesky did in 2008. When when he super good insights, Brian. I, I like the guy in the, the, the guy or gal in the Dell Cube. Right. Right. Like how to start a business. Right. Right. Like, <laughs> right, right. Right. Start there. <laughs> like don't listen to Masters of Scale because like what what uh, what the dude at DoorDash is doing to like get DoorDash to to a hundred billion to five hundred billion does not matter for your startup idea. It's it's entertainment. It's like entertainment. You, like you so it's like, like it. your, your, your living room should be a classroom. Your car should be a mobile classroom. You know, I'm listening to a podcast called capital allocators and all this guy talks about is, oh, yeah. is the stuff that you and I are kind of like touching on right now. I don't know anything about this stuff, but if I listen to his, I listen to every episode he's ever done, then I can get, I can get leveled up and speak these guys language. And it's just like, that's the awesome thing about business. I'd never in a million years would listen to that dude's show, but that, but, but this, but this journey is causing me to do it. Because you've leveled up and now that's actually relating to you where even back at your previous business wouldn't have related as that's much. That's right. It's now the choke point. And, and like in business, it's like, okay, I'm dealing with these problems. Blocking and tackling now is going and read these five books, listening to these five podcasts, following these people on YouTube. Not like the most successful people don't have courses. I'm not saying go buy courses. I mean, like listen to the fireside chat they did at some conference five years ago. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. 45 mm-hmm. minutes. You're going to have to spend the time to do it. Yeah. So I know we're, we're a little past our time. So this has been an absolute blast, man. Um, two questions that I'll wrap up with is one is I ask everybody what the word intentional means to them because it's the name of the show and it's about, uh, it's so ingrained in our philosophy. Brian, what does the word intentional mean for you? I think like 
one of my I get not superpowers, but I guess one of my I guess competitive advantages is just consistency, and it's the it's the ability to just do the stuff day in day out for a long period of time. Like Jim Collins calls it the twenty mile march, and and I guess my intentionality might be the consistency of of managing whatever the inputs are and doing them to get to the, whatever the output is. And the, the way I do that is like, I'll put little, what I call trip wires in front of me. So like being intentional and consistent about, about working out, like I'm trying to learn how to we tie box right now. And so I have a coach that makes a hundred dollars an hour and I meet with him like two times a week and I got to be there. I got to be there and I got to bring it. I can't go out drinking the night before. Like I got to, I get a good night's sleep. I got to like, I got to run three or four miles because I'm sparring with this guy. I got to be there and I got to bring it. And it's only because I'm paying this dude a hundred dollars an hour and I don't want to waste a hundred dollars. So like the commitment and creating the tripwire of like hiring the coach like and that. doing that. So like that can apply to everything in life and business being intentional is like, you might not be, I'm not like David Goggins style, like, like relentless. Right. So I create these these little tripwires in front of me. And so it might be that, you know, I, I have a, a CFO that makes $300 an hour that I have fractionally. And I know I got to meet with this person once a month. I better have all of my stuff together when I'm meeting with them going over what we're doing. That's a little tripwire makes me consistent. And it's, and I intentionally do that to, to keep everything together. Love it. Last question. Where does everybody find you if they want to uh, learn more about you, follow you, if you've if you've resonated with them because they're at that level of the video game? Yeah, yeah. Um, anybody want to not waste time mowing your yard, just download Green Pal in the App Store or Play Store. If anybody wants to hit me up, I I, I put all of my time in, in Instagram, Brian M. Clayton. You can drop me a DM there. Brian, this has been an absolute blast, man. I'm so happy you came on the show. Brian, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. Well, I don't know if you want to hang out with Brian as much as I do, but I can tell you he, he just sounds like a lot of fun. I love how he views business and life. He doesn't take himself too seriously, but he loves to get shit done. I just love it. If you want to understand the things that he understands, go check out the Intentional Growth Training because I believe that if you have discipline and you have knowledge, that actually can bring you freedom because it reduces your anxiety about whether you're working on the right things, are you growing the right direction, are you growing value, are you gonna have those choices long-term, how do you get untrapped, by understanding who you are, what you want from your business and why, and being confident in your business plan going forward, you can then objectively unlock the levels. Uh, Just a small commentary, our training is not based in different video game levels. However, there are five principles that make it easy to digest so you can dive into business valuations, value growth strategies, strategic planning, the financials, the whole works. Go check it out, arcona.io. Otherwise, stay tuned for next week, and thanks for tuning in.